Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's time to do a podcast about Arsenal Football Club. You remember? Arsenal Football Club. They play football. No? We'll remind you. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, Blockman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We, uh, yeah, we're back, so to speak. I mean, we were never gone. The football's been gone. Football's coming back. I, there is some football back. None of this is making any sense. Let me tell you what's cap- happening. First of all, I'm back home, and I'm happy to be there, uh, here. I got all the guys lined up. We're going we're gonna to do a podcast. I thought what we could do today is a mid-season review because we have played 21 of the 38 games, and that is, uh, by my math, the exact midpoint of the season. But to be clear, uh, I was never very good at math. So we can do a little of that, look ahead to the Wolves game. An interesting weekend behind us, and I think it's fair to say that teams like Manchester United and West Ham having to go 120 minutes in the Cup is... Maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but maybe good for us, all things being considered. We have 17 games. I was listening to the Arscast. They said 17 cup finals, and Andrew pointed out that would be incredibly stressful. Yes, if it's 17 cup finals, uh, I am not going to survive it personally. So how about just 17 games of association football that we need to do well in? So let's look forward to that. Let's look back at the season so far, and let's do it with Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yeah, uh, just real quick, Tim. Do you? I mean, do you have any thoughts on on the weekend results, the FA Cups? I mean, first of all, obviously, like Forest looking really good against Leicester, um, and you know, I, it, it is interesting because I, I mentioned this in our WhatsApp chat, but uh, Spence just looks really good as a right back, and sometimes you have to kind of admit your biases, right? And like that's the kind of fullback I think of when I think of a fullback, and not as much the Tamiyasu kind, but like. Tomiyasu has obviously been one of the players of our season so far and playing that role in a brilliant way, doing the, the job that he's asked to do. But it's just funny how we can have biases around style, a style of player that we like to see in Jed Spence, certainly more the style of fullback I would expect. But do you have any strong takes on how the results reflect on Arsenal, the, the Forest result, or even the 120 minutes for our rivals? Um, so the... Uh- Full disclosure, the only game I watched was the United Middlesbrough one, and that was that was between my daughter waking up. <laughs> and she very thoughtfully decided to wake up just as the penalties were starting. So um, instead of trying to get her back to sleep, she watched that with me. <laughs> yeah but um but that was funny wasn't it um, <laughs> but I, I think i think what both of um i i think both the well the games we've both referenced there united middlesbrough and forest leicester what they show you is i think that the championship is is a serious league um probably more serious than a lot of us realize now Forest, they've been in that league for a long long time now in fact spent a little bit of time in league one as well since they were uh, since they were relegated, and for someone like me who grew up with Forest as like quite a big team, yeah. um, it was it was quite a 
shock kind of when they went down but that was over 20 years ago now but that what they've done is they finally made quite a good managerial appointment in steve cooper who did a very good job at swansea and i think that if forest don't end up in the premier league soon enough he will um i I think he'll be a guy who who'll get looked at by premier league clubs and also forest they've had something a little bit similar to us i think in that after years and years of really piss poor recruitment i mean they've done it a lot worse than us um, and lots of managerial changes. They've had two players come through basically in Jed Spence um, and Brennan Johnson. And yeah. um, Brentford tried to buy Brennan Johnson quite seriously in January. And, and usually, if you're following the breadcrumbs of who good young up and coming talent is, look at who Brentford are trying to buy. Yeah. <laughs> um, is what I would say. And like Brennan Johnson and, and Jed Spence have just like breathed a little bit of new life. Um, into Forest, both like you know, young players who've come through, um, and that and that can that can take you very far. I mean, Spurs, for example, they just happened fluked upon really having a world class striker coming out of their academy, and that's that's taken them quite far. Not to a trophy yet, but quite far for them. So good for them. <laughs> um, and Borough as well. I mean, so Borough have got Chris Wilder in, um, and things have have really switched. Things have really turned for them. Um, since they got Chris Wilder in, and and they're they're like much much, um, they're 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 much much. They're they're a Chris Wilder team basically. They've gone three five two, and he's possibly the best coach outside the Premier League. Po- I mean, between him and Steve Cooper, essentially, I think you've got two of the best coaches outside of the Premier League. And I think what you're seeing is that I don't I don't know how much that gap has closed but basically against those teams particularly I mean United play Middlesbrough at home but particularly when you go away from home like when you you drop a couple of players out or you rotate a little bit like they can have you on their day so maybe it puts our result against Forest in a little bit of perspective perhaps um yeah. I mean so can I also add on that Jim sure. that like when I compared the two games like Forrest played against Leicester. They didn't really play, you know, they sat back against us. Mm. It was quite interesting to see they can actually play across yep. 90 minutes. And it was um, a derby as well yeah, yeah. of sorts. And they played yeah. it a bit like a derby. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And, and and that's broadly how they play in the championship, as, as you'd expect. Um, but yeah, it, I think it shows you as well that there's, um, and yeah, sorry, I've just seen the chat that yes, Spence is on loan. Um, at Nottingham Forest and and there's a lot of there's a lot of teams trying to buy him but I think it shows you that there is good talent to be had um in the championship and maybe with like Brexit for example um there will be I, I think there'll almost certainly be more of a look towards towards the championship um to find particularly young talent at the moment I, I think that would be my takeaway from certainly those two games this weekend Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's well said. It's funny because I see a lot of Arsenal fans talking about, oh, we should get Spence in. He, you know, he'd be a great backup for uh, Tomiyasu. And I'm like, I don't think that's where that player's career is headed personally. I don't know, Clive. I mean, I, I do want to get more into the Arsenal stuff and looking back at the season that's been so far and looking ahead. But I do think this weekend, you know, has some interesting echoes. I mean, I look at the Forest game and who we put out in that game. And it was a disappointing performance, but a very makeshift side. And then you see them go and really thrash a Leicester team that was pretty strong and and realize that maybe we can rethink that. And again, I'm not trying to put a gloss on, on losing to lower division opposition, but given the team we put out and given the way they looked against Leicester, maybe just gives a little perspective for that. Do you feel the same way? 
Yeah, well, we we played an 18-year-old kid in centre midfield for his debut, didn't he? Mm. And um, we saw that what Forrest did yesterday was no accident. They moved a very strong running team around and ran with them and did not look out of place for them in any way or form. Right? They played football. They played territory football. They played running football. They played passing football. They, they Steve Cooper is somebody that's been on the England track, and he is a very good coach who was unfortunate. I think he came out of Swansea, did he? Come out of Swansea? I think so. And um, just lost his way a little bit, got a job almost immediately. Almost immediately. And um, he is well thought of and um, he's turning them around. And that city, my, I said earlier beforehand, my daughter goes to university there and that city is alive. It is absolutely alive with football. And um, So yeah, I think it's uh, an interesting one. On the... Um, dispensing he's come from Middlesbrough and on loan and we sent a player to Middlesbrough you know so that'd be interesting to see what happens mm-hmm. normally that happens in life you send somebody along to a club you want to buy a player from to make sure everything's nice and sweet I think um yeah I, I don't waste much about that game earlier I, I, I try to um I'm looking at where we are going forward shall we say I think we just got caught out on the day and could have been beaten by more actually um there wasn't really any regrets there they caught us at the right time between some very big games that we played in Man City and Liverpool. And they were, I think you called it the trap game, did you call it? Yeah, I think it yeah was that was the, the title of the podcast episode. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and I think that was a really, a really astute. And we just got we just got caught out. On Spence, and a bit more on Spence, actually, I think that type of player is exactly what we need. I think you we want a wing back. That makes sense. A physical mm. wing back, a running wing back. I think he got to offer different styles. It's not just a replacement for Tommy Asa. He's unique, you know, the way he plays that position. And I think you know, I love the way he does that. I think it it gives us something on the you know to mirror the left hand side and balance us out there. So I love how he plays it. But there will be days when we need something else and we need to go down both sides. You know, your way earlier. And I think mm-hmm. having a player that can do that. And it's not a Cedric. He's somebody a bit taller, a bit more physical, with pace that can dribble, stop, start, you know, beat you off the dribble. Also, move some of our, our outside wing forwards, like Saka, for example, in a lane, and suddenly he becomes a different player. So, having that option is is, is exactly what we need. I think um, if you said to me before we get to our summer transfer stuff, <laughs> which I'm sure we're going to do shortly, right wing back is one on my list. Not a right back, Tomiyasu under play. It's literally another style of play. I think that's really quite important for us next season. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is the challenge. I, I, I think it's something we're going to come on to in this episode. Even is that what are you trying to build? Are you trying to build a first eleven that, when it is fit and together, can challenge for the title, can challenge for the league, or are you trying to build a team that has quality through it? <clears throat> even, you know, multiple options at, at specific positions, but maybe lack some of the elite top-end talent. And I, you know my perspective, I tend to lean towards the former, that you build the best first team you can, and you find solutions behind them from the academy, uh, you take a punt, you, you do some things that are clever to fill in around that. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come on to that in a bit. I, I, uh, Paul, before we sort of move on to the more very specific Arsenal stuff, I mean, when you're chasing top four or title or anything like that, you can find yourself in weird rooting positions. And the FA Cup is a classic example of me being like, oh, yeah, no, I want them to lose. No, well, actually, you know, if they go through more fixtures, no, 120 minutes, though, that's good. They're going to be tired for the next fixture. Like, you find yourself being very, um, you know, sort of 
of two minds because you always want your rivals to lose, but there are times where going through in a domestic cup could wind up benefiting you later. So as you look at these results from the weekend, what United went through, what West Ham went through, obviously, you know, Spurs going through, do you think that ultimately it's a good weekend and that we just, we have to sort of, you know, bite our lip and root for some things that we might find unpleasant because it's in our best interest? Uh, Well, the three cases are interesting and different. I think it's great United lost uh, because I think they have a, they're going to continue to have a bit of an identity crisis. Uh, Do we, or don't we stick with Ronaldo, Ronaldo up front and how do we play? And like, how do you not, do they even have a choice? I mean, I feel like that is the sort of Damocles hanging over them, but like they, yeah, but you wanted to be so close, like where everybody's saying, Oh, they've really got to drop them, but you can't like, and that's, that's kind of what that loss helps us maintain the, they're, they're almost bad enough where they almost have to drop Ronaldo. And that the, with Ronaldo, I don't know how they do what Rangnick wants to do, which is a higher energy, higher intensity, younger, etc., etc. It just creates this massive uh, tension within their, their setup and their organization that maybe they can't resolve till summer. Then you look at West Ham, glad they won, want them nice and tired, um uh just keep you know even if they win the FA Cup it doesn't you know why not why not them I'd be fine with that mm. uh a uh, couple I mean, of the others not so much yeah. and then Spurs <laughs> you know that's the one I'm not so happy about because uh sure it keeps them in the competition but unfortunately they're starting to get a bit of a buzz about them around their front three and uh, a little more confusion indecision Self-doubt would have been a good thing. So I think you can parse the three results differently. I'll take the first two. The third one would have loved if Spurs screwed it up, but they're starting to write themselves a little bit of a narrative that one way or another they find a way to win. Mm. I'll say this with Spurs. I want Spurs to have as many games as possible because their entire season is Kane and Son, right? Like, And, and Kane, we know, <clears throat> one wrong kick on the ankle and he's out for a while. Paul, like, the more they play and the more he has to play, you just raise the odds of him missing when it matters. Yeah, I think. And I, I muted Paul instead of myself, which has resulted in me needing to cough on Mike and Paul not being able to be heard. Good to be back in my natural <laughs> habitat. Uh, just killing it, knocking it out. Uh, Paul, you want to you finish up whatever thought you were saying that no one could hear? I apologize. Yeah, well, I think that's the right thought, but I just don't have a feeling that's what's going to happen. Um, like his ankles can't like I'm with you on the ankles, but his ankles can't be that bad because because City would know their shit, even if they had to hack into their computers at Spurs like Liverpool did to the computers at City. They must know what they were trying to buy there for 150 million. And and like he's just annoyingly there when we don't want him to be at the tail end. I think. I think there's going to be a strong run in from Spurs and I think it's three players make a big difference. Steve Bergwijn is not going to be that guy who scored uh, a couple of goals at the end of the game in extra time. Uh, Again, it'll be Lucas Moura who's given people a hard time. I think that's a very dangerous front three and the rest of it just has to be boring, predictable and solid. And I think that makes Spurs a very strong competitor in the run-in so I did not enjoy that result I would have preferred them 
um, going out one way or another and having a degree of self-doubt. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, all right, so Tim, the real question now uh, where Arsenal is concerned is really basically like, are we the team that we last saw when all the players were available, which was, I think it's fair to say, a pretty good and exciting team. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to evaluate who we are in the context of January because it was cup ties, it was weird games, it was 10 men, it was no midfielders, it was you know the, the Forest game we've covered at length, and then it was the City game, which we all sort of felt pretty encouraged about and was kind of taken from us in a way. So the whole thing hinges on is the team that we saw ourselves trending towards being Uh, at the end of December, beginning of January, who we really are, and can we be that for 17 games? Now, we look paper thin, but there is the part, I have to be intellectually consistent, if not uh, intellectually uh, intelligent, if you can even, well, you know what, that fits. Fits what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Um, Because I have always sort of maintained that what you really need is a good core of first 11 players for the most part, and then you need to get a little lucky to achieve anything. And if I look at Liverpool winning the title a couple seasons ago, they had seven outfield players who made 34 appearances or more. Seven, okay? Virgil van Dijk played in 38 games. Trent Alexander-Arnold played in 38 games. Firmino played in 38 games. I mean, that's what you need. If you look at Leicester, they had eight outfield players who made 35 appearances or more. The reality is that unless you're like a city with a, you know, a galaxy of superstars, you're not going to go achieve big goals unless you get a little lucky keeping your most important players fit. Because unless you're city... Odds are those backup players aren't going to get you where you need to go, right? I mean, there mm. is no replacement for Virgil van Dyke. There was no Jamie Vardy replacement on Leicester particularly. And so we know who we need to keep fit. We know we need the midfielders fit. We know Lacazette's going to have to play. We know we're probably going to need Gabriel and White to play. Like, we know how that goes. So I'm curious. I mean, how do you react to the, the sort of panic, and an understandable panic about how thin we are as it relates to the fact that realistically – you know, we were always going to need our key players to be available for this run-in to, to get where we need to go. Yeah, and I think we're only thin at striker, really. I, I, I don't yeah. look at us as thin anywhere else. I'm not, I'm not really asked about anyone that left, um, you know, apart from Aubameyang, I guess, although I can see the reasons for that. I don't think it's a travesty of justice or anything. Um, and he wasn't setting, you know, pulling up trees. So um, it, it is the goal scorer question. The rest of the squad, I, like I completely agree with you. If we were in a situation where we had to rely on Kalasinac or or Callum Chambers um, or, or even even maybe Ainsley Maitland-Niles, although I, I do think he's got enough experience that he'd be able to slot in, you know, midfield or right back without disrupting, without things being disrupted too much. But yeah, I mean, none of those players are going to, get us where we want to go really and and mm-hmm. I agree that really what you want is a fairly tight core of players look at what Guardiola had at Barcelona actually it's different for him now at City but at Barca if, if you I promise you if you look 2008 to 2011 at Barca look at their unused subs for most games I bet you I bet you've never heard of them, quite a lot of them yeah um, they they were a lot of them were waifs strays and kids they got a few off um, us. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and and so, but at the same time, the idea that um, you know the porridge is going to be just right for seventeen games is fanciful. It's not. Um, 
And really, the, the team I think that's going to take that fourth place is probably going to be the one that deals with a little bit of adversity the best. I think that's the most likely. It could be that we go we go scot-free injury-wise for 17 games. We can put out maybe the same 11 um, and just keep it t- ticking over and that, that takes us over the line. But um, in lieu of that, it's going to be the team that, that deals with that adversity um, the best. So... You know, the, we we it, it's all kind of very well saying, are we the team that was doing X, Y, and Z in December? But I think it was something um, Bertie Mee said, like uh, when he managed us to the double in the early seventies and he's in seventy one, and he said something like, "In reality, a team is probably only at its best for about five or six league games total, even if you win the league." And so really what winning the league, for example, becomes about is what do you do in those other games where you're not at your best? Can you scrap out a 1-0 when you're not playing very well? So, you know, I I do think there is a big sense of can Arsenal under Arteta get those kind of results? I I think there are... There are two kind of results I'd like to see more of. The scrapping out a 1-0 when perhaps it's not going that well, um, a bit like the Burnley game, and absolutely larruping the shit teams. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, we don't do enough of that. Like, we don't do enough, like, three and four nils against the Norwiches. Um, Albeit, actually, to be fair, we did that over Christmas, didn't we? So... Um, you know that that's one tick, I guess. But you know, can can we do the scrapping out the one nil? Um, because even Guardiola, right? As as much as I think Guardiola has almost achieved his wet dream of playing without a striker. Because um, if you remember when he joined City, he didn't really seem to want Aguero until Aguero changed his game up a little bit. Um, he still wanted Kane and Ronaldo this summer and the reason he wanted Kane and Ronaldo was because he knew that there'd be games like the one they had against Southampton recently where it's 1-1, one, 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 they're frustrated and they just need someone who can smash the ball in the net with 10 minutes to go. So that, that that's the part that interests me. If we're nil-nil at home with 10 minutes to go, have we got that player that can just smash the ball in the net, give us a 1-0 and get us out of there? Because usually, particularly at the end of the season and if you observe any of Arsenal's title-winning seasons, um, you know, you might remember the end of 2002, two games in a week at Highbury that were fucking horrible against Ipswich and West Ham. And it was nil-nil with 15 minutes to go in both of them. And in both of them, we just found a way. We didn't play well. Everyone remembers those teams as swaggering every week, but they didn't play well, but they scrapped it out and got over the line. That's what you really need in March, April, May when mm-hmm. you're not at your best. And that's where my question is, can can Arsenal do that in the games where they're frustrated? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting, right? Because intuitively you think the problem we're going to have is that United and Spurs have players that can get goals reliably and we don't. And then you look at it and like, we have what, three goals fewer than United and one less game played and seven goals more than Spurs and one more goal, uh, game played and we're all pretty clustered up in expected goals and like, We've all sort of had the same team all season. So, the, you know, when we're 21, 20, 22 games into the season, so I don't think it's sort of a false metric at this point. Like, we have managed to sort of find the goals. Now, granted, we've gotten them in clusters against some pretty bad opposition, but that's kind of how you get top four anyway, uh, as you sort of alluded to, Tim. So I, I think, Clive, that for me, I think the reason striker is, is such a talking point is 
that wasn't one where we were like, let's get some backup behind Lacazette who's ahead of Enkedia. We were looking at upgrading the striker position. And I certainly think that that would have been worth doing. Um, but like, I don't know that some backup to Tomiyasu or some fourth choice midfielder or some 1B striker necessarily gets us there because if, you know, if things go to plan, you're you're not really using them. And in my view, like, I'm just as happy to let a Pepe or Martinelli have 20 minutes at striker in a game you're chasing as I am to let a guy we don't really like who we just signed come off the bench and try to win it for you. So it, it is still about the first 11 to me. There's no question that stre- strengthening striker is the mission in the summer and probably two strikers, which is a daunting prospect. But like for the balance of this season, I, I do think it's it's pretty black and white to me. Stay fit and you've got a chance don't stay fit at certain key positions and you have no chance. That's how I view it. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. I think um, it'd be interesting to see what we do as a as a squad because we're cleaning house, right? So we know we're reducing our squad. If you look at the way Manchester United do it, maybe in a similar way to we used to do it, have so many players, different talents, many they don't use. I, mean, I saw Juan Mata come on the other day. I forgot he was there. Right, so it looks like somebody in a testimonial game, right? So they've got so many players, and it wasn't so long ago that we couldn't name all our players in the Premier League squad. So that type of wastage doesn't sit well with me, right? Yeah. So again, I always look at I look at Man City, right? It's the only thing I can look at, and, and what they have. There's a couple of great tweets out there comparing Man City squad, and which I could find it, um, Liverpool squad and Chelsea squad, and. Man City squad is, is way smaller, but the quality within that squad is almost, you know, really comparable. You know, they're, they're four centre-backs, you know, Aki Stones, um, what's, it, what's his name now? Aki Stones, Laporte and Diaz, is it? Diaz, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, apart, Aki does a bit of both on the left-back side, and that's like, that's a lot of quality. Aki's 47 million, and he's their fourth centre-back and second or third left-back. That's what we see with Nuno and, and Kirantini. That's where we're heading. That's the sort of competition that we need to have. It's true competition. It's real. And there isn't a massive drop-off. What we have with Tom Yasu and Cedric is not one that keeps us, makes us sleep well, right? So I think this is where we're heading. I think we're heading to a more of a, a smaller squad with quality that's underpinned by very good youth players. We got that box ticked. You know, and that's what we need to continue. So I think this is where we're heading next season. I, I'm so interested to see how we build. Do you want to go into strike a bit, Alex? I'm doing a bit of thinking about this, actually. Why not? I yeah. I don't it's know if you guys relevant. are up for it. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are up for it, right? So there's six or seven types of forwards, right? So you have a target man forward, a wing forward, an outside wing forward, a false nine, an all-round centre forward, a playmaking forward, and a poacher. Right, so, so just to put some context around that, right? So, target man forward, someone like Dominic Calvert Lewin, target man or Giroud, someone like that. A wing forward, Martinelli, inside wing forward, outside wing forward. You could say Pepe and Saka, right? False nine, we got Lacazette. A classic centre forward, all round centre forward, the one we tried to buy in Vlaovic, right? Does all the jobs, right? So, a playmaking nine now would be somebody like Isaac who's a nine, but he, he can create and play, make and dribble and carry, right? So, and a poacher forward is someone like Eddie, right? So if you think about what we're losing, we're losing Eddie. You could probably say that Bamiyang may have been a playmaking nine. So we're losing Bamiyang. We've lost him. 
we're losing our false nine option in, in Lacazette. So what do we have? We have an outside wing forward in Sakas, where we're using at the moment, and we have a wing forward in, in Gabriel Martinelli. And we have potentially a Balogun coming back to the club, who I think could be reshaped as a false nine. I think he's got the physicality to replace like Lacazette. So then it comes back to what do we need to add? And then that's where this is where the debate comes in. And by the way, I'm I've got no I I know what I think we need ish, but I'm not like gonna, you know, hold myself and write down in blood. I think we need a a another wing forward and I want to say playmaking nine, but I then get debated between a target man nine, right? So I think that this is where we're heading, and I think it's, I think we need two. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna assume we're gonna be in in Europe. The reason why I say we may even need three, depending on what happens to Pepe, um, because I I think we can't afford to have Martelli and Saka rotating. They don't rotate basically. We can't afford to have them basically playing every single game, you know? And I think that's the real key issue for us. And I think we need to make sure we add a wing forward in there to make sure they can rotate. I don't see Smith-Rowe as a wing forward. I see him as almost like an attacking midfielder. So I think this is where we're, this is the debate we're going to have going forward in the summer. What type of forward do we want to add into that group versus who we're going to lose? And what type of forward do we think um, Arteta will go for, right? And I think that's a really unknown question, but I wanted to put those categories down because I think it helps people think it through. I haven't yeah. got a strong view, but I think it just makes it really simple. It is It is tough in a way because I think if you have quality enough players, the idea that you're going to have backup players that you want to use is sort of a, a fallacy, a fantasy in a way, because you know there isn't a player that Liverpool can bring on to replace Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane or Trent Alexander-Arnold or Virgil van Dijk that's in that class. There isn't a player that Manchester City can even bring in that's in De Bruyne's class or probably Ruben Diaz's class even and Cancelo's class. There's there's a few players that you're going to have in any team that if they're not playing, you're weaker. And it's not because you didn't strengthen properly. It's because there is no real scenario where you've got a player who's one of the best in the league and another player who's one of the best in the league who's just contented to sit behind him and not play. Maybe if they're on 300 a week at City, you know, you you can find contentment that way, but not at most clubs. And that's where you wind up with players throwing a strop, getting frozen out and and moving. So I think building depth is one of those things that everybody talks about, but is really hard to do. And that really trying to build the absolute most elite, talented first 11 you can. And that those, you know, maybe it's the players that were in your first 11 that are still under contract that become backups because they've been improved upon. Now, we can't do that because our two strikers that we currently have at the club are both out of contract and leaving. But I don't know, Paul. I mean, we got 17 games. We have a first 11 that I think, we know it's not perfect, but it certainly has run United and Spurs close to this point, 21 games through, ahead of, you know, ahead of one, behind the other, however you want to look at it. And I think should run them close the rest of the way, barring a major absence. Um, I I think it'd be unforgivable if we fell away from them. So, you know, how do you balance the need to elevate your first 11 and, and and recognize that that's what ultimately carries you to your goals, but recognizing also that you don't want to have a bunch of junk behind them that you don't want to use even if you had to? 
Yeah, no, it's it's a very difficult balance. I mean, even the city example you mentioned about keeping them happy with 300K, I mean, that hasn't kept them happy. No. Uh, Bernardo Silva tried to leave. Ferran Torres did leave. Uh, Raheem Sterling hasn't been happy. Uh, Leroy you know, Sané, well, that was a, maybe Cancelo's. A I mean, can you imagine Cancelo isn't happy, but he's not. he wasn't happy, but it's all okay now. And I would say... City just about manage it, not just by paying them a lot of money, but by winning. St- like, yeah. like they're almost losing them, and they're paying them humongous money, and they're promising them a trophy every year. Um, but then City's a bit extreme, and they're trying to win the Champions League and the league. So they kind of need the best part of two top class teams, uh, at least in his his view of the world. Liverpool won the league and the Champions League in different years. And there was no way they were going to, you would say, win both in the in the same year, potentially. Um, and Liverpool does it with, has to and does do it with a much smaller squad. But the one thing I'd say about Liverpool when you say there's no replacing, the one, the one thing they do have is they have uh, Jota, mm-hmm. uh, who can play across three positions. And Firmino, it's that fourth player. It's like... You can't have what you don't, what you can't do is have a player for each position, but you can have that. Like, if we could get Diogo Jota's sister or mother uh, or cousin, that for me is like, if you say one player to put into our lineup, I take that guy because he can play three positions, four positions, depending on. Yeah, you're basically saying across that front line, you need an extra, really high quality player that can come in at one of those three positions. Yeah. And yeah, I, I buy that. Yeah, and gives you a bit of flexibility, no drop off. But and then back to the what do we do in this run in, or, or or what determines whether what we've got enough or not? I think Tim uh, framed it brilliantly. The one thing I would say where I'm very concerned about whether we have an, another player for him or not um, is Tommy Yasu, uh, and we don't have another player for him. And it's not necessarily just because of his position and whether Cedric's as good at being a fullback, it's because our kind of our whole right-sided play, offensive and defensively, and to Tim's point, Bertie Me saying, you know, it, it's what do you do in all of those uh, week-to-week games, not, the, not when you're flying high, but when you're getting results, and a lot of that is not conceding. And Tommy Asu is a huge part of not just – fullback but like the whole right side and the defense is rock solid when he's there um and then from an attack standpoint he's a big piece of how we build up and even with ben white who i rate on the ball i mean we just weren't the same when we played ben white at fullback on the right uh it wasn't because holding isn't as good as ben white it's because ben white can't give us what tommy asu does with his two-footedness like we don't think of him as as an attacking player but we build our attacks uh, with him as a key portion. So for me, the run-in is about keeping everybody fit, that we've said all that. It's about the attack and our options. It's about our bench, but we can't do anything about that now, but it is, right? What happens at 70 minutes? What happens when somebody needs a rest? What kind of a bench? What kind of options? Can we pull in Nicholas Pepe? Can we use Martinelli through the center after 70 minutes if if Laka's starting to flag during the season or during the game? 
those are the three things for me. Can we keep Lacazette fit? Uh, can Eddie contribute when he comes on? So that's the attack, the r- the right fullback, and what kind of a bench can we string together from what's left, basically? Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, if you put the first 11 on paper, and then you say, I mean, ideally you put them on a pitch because <clears throat> that's where they need to play. But like, and then you look at the bench and you say, I've got Smith Rowe, Nicola Pepe, Sammy Laconga, Nuno Tavares, Rob Holding, <clears throat> right back. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, and, and a goalkeeper like Smith Rowe and Pepe are good options off the bench to boost the attack. Sammy Laconga is a midfielder that while he may not totally be ready to start every Premier League game, if he's paired with one of Shaq or a party, I trust him to do a job. You've got a center back who I think from a third center back level you know, uh, evaluation. I think he fits roughly what you'd expect from a, a third choice center back in the Premier League, maybe just about. And Nuno Tavares is an exciting young player who adds, you know, pace and, and a bit of chaos and can probably play, honestly, as cover for either fullback. Like, those aren't bad options. It's, I understand really why the focus on striker, but I do think that, and in the summer, there's going to need to be additions midfield and striker. We know exactly where it is. But for 17 more games, I can look at it and say it's sufficient. So I want to look back at what's happened, but. Before I do that, I want to look ahead to an important date coming up, and that is uh, February 14th. Not a fixture date per se, but uh, for those of you who care to celebrate, it is Valentine's Day. Now, uh, Tim has previously regaled us with his system for how he ducks and dodges and avoids Valentine's Day altogether, the romantic that he is, uh, by celebrating, saying he will celebrate different Valentine's Days at different times and then not doing it. I'm kidding. We know Tim d- does the full the full thing. But if you want to uh, treat someone to a special Valentine's Day, you know how to do it best by grooming yourself and making yourself the present. Make yourself the gift. And the way you make yourself the gift is with Manscaped's Perfect Performance Package 4.0. The Performance Package 4.0 includes the signature lawnmower 4.0, some of their best liquid products like toners, um, uh, uh, deodorant, and the, uh, what's the other one? Uh, cologne. That's it. That's the thing. The scent. So you got all that. The, the lawnmower 4.0, if you don't know by now, come on. Let me educate you on this thing. It is the best trimming tool I have ever used. It is uh, a super long battery life and wet dry. So you can use it in the shower. It has a really bright light on it so you can see what you're doing, which let me tell you, when you're grooming certain areas, that is absolutely important. It has guards so you can do different lengths. Um, probably not in your privates, but you know other places. Uh, it has the induction charging so you can just set it in its case um, in its little cradle and it charges and even a button lock so if you travel with it, it doesn't just start grooming all the things in your suitcase. So it is the best uh, I have ever used. You absolutely get it. Get the performance package and you will be the gift this Valentine's Day. Go to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with promo code ArsenalVision. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off and free shipping. Now, that is important, but equally important is business. And I can tell you, having been through a fairly rough period uh, of business over the last couple of weeks, you've probably heard, uh, you know, it is one of those things that you realize like, you want the best people. And when you don't have the best people, you suffer. And the best way to have the best people is with Indeed. So whether your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more of the best faster. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. And again, I really think we should institute that in the transfer window. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help do it all. Okay? 
Indeed is a hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. And you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements. Okay, so, I mean, this this really is the way to find good talent. I, I think it is a, a program and an approach that we should bring into football, but no one's listening to me. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 job credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed, Clive. Is that enough of that? Undeniably. <laughs> Undeniably. Indubitably. Okay. So, um, Clive, I'll start with you on this. I, I want to look back at the season so far, and we'll start with an easy one. To date, and, and here, if this is not going to be easy, guys, because here are the rules. You're going to have to pick one that hasn't been picked. Okay? So when someone gives an answer, you have to pick. So far, season to date, who's your player of the season for Arsenal this season? Ooh. Um, my player of the season, I'm going to go with Kyle Saka. But I was tempted to go Tommy Essie, actually, because I think it's been transformation. Nah, you're, you're cheating. Uh, sorry. You I'm pick gonna, Saka. Explain your answer. <laughs> I, I'm going to pick Saka because uh, I, I just think um, in a year when we have seen senior players disappear off the face of the earth, he has carried the burden of this team offensively on build-up, on retention in those upper areas, on one-on-ones, on shooting, assists, crossing, Progressive passes, I just see a player at 20 years of age that basically looks like our best forward on on many occasions. But more so when I'm worried and I look up and I look at the, the grass and I look at the TV and I think, who's going to do it now? And, it, and it's always him. You know, he's the one that breaks it open, you know, that breaks open the can as such. And I, and I just think... For your one of your youngest players to have that level of responsibility and then execute more often than not, and this is not something he's done recently. I just think is incredible. So I say that, and mm. knowing that not every game he's been brilliant, but I, but he still well, does that stuff. Do yeah, I mean? you know what's interesting, Clive? Because I, I was thinking this as you were talking. Is I think if you look at the games where you say we weren't great on the day they tend to be the games where Saka wasn't great on the day. And yeah. I think that that makes your point, which is that we are so reliant on him playing well for us to play well, and that he has played well enough to get us where we are so far, and we'll need to play well again the rest of the season to get us where we want to go, because the games where we look flat, he looks flat. And I think he's the player who needed this rest the most as well. And it is remarkable to consider the season he's having, given the summer he had as well, emotionally, yeah. physically. I think that speaks volumes to his character. Can I just add one little bit yeah, to this? Please. And it's something that maybe others will bring into their discussion as well. I think he's not who's been a player of the season. I think the word influence comes into this. You can have some really, really good players that don't influence the team in a sizable way. I think his influence has been sizable. And I think of the other players I could have chosen, it's the influence they have on the team, how how we play, whether it be stability, whether it be how we feel in the stands. That influence is almost greater than abilities, if that makes sense. So um, that's yeah. how I view it anyway. Makes sense to me. Okay, uh, Tim, who is your player of the season, not Bukayo Saka? <laughs> um, I've got a feeling Paul will want to take Tommy Assey, so I'm going to leave that one. Um, and I'll say Aaron Ramsdale. Um, mm. Again, another player who's been pretty transformational, I think. Um, you, you know what my view of Leno always 
is was that mm-hmm. he's a good like seven out of ten goalkeeper um, who who's done like done the job we probably needed from that position at, at the time that we needed it when we were in a big transition. But Ramsdale is the the goalkeeper to take this team forward, and not just what he's added in terms of his personality because it's quite a quiet back four, and I, I do think you do need at least one person back there who's um, who's a bit more of an extrovert. But what he's added with uh, the way he plays the ball as well, he's just he's just given the team another dimension. Um, and, and I guess you have to take it in the context of the fact that none of us really wanted him, um, or at least were, you know, raised some eyebrows um, about the pursuit of this player at this price. But um, no, fair fucks, it's, it's been a great signing. And I think he's really, really added something to the team. And, and something else that's important as well is, is how the fans feel about the team and that connection. I do think that's been really important this season and more just because it feels nice. I do think it, it can make the difference for a team on the pitch. And mm. I think he's... Um, even just by virtue of being quite close to the supporters all the time because of his position, um, I think he's he's really been a conduit for that as well. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Tim, is one of the reasons I was not focused on keeper in the past is I regarded keeper as sort of a neutral position in the sense that what I wanted from the keeper was don't lose us the game. Don't be the reason we drop points. As long as you make the saves you're supposed to make, good enough. It's on the rest of the team to go win the game, go get the points. And we had keepers like Amunia and Ospina, and things like that, who cost us games. And so with Leno, I didn't have too much worry, because by and large, I think Leno, I mean, hell, Leno did keep us in games with some great saves. But I think what I've noticed is that football is changing, and at the best clubs, the keepers are part of the way the team plays, beyond just Mm -hmm. keeping the ball out of the net. And Ramsdale has really added that. And, And so I think it's opened my eyes to how a keeper can be important to the way you play, you know, not just Mm -hmm. don't lose it for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, Paul, that leaves I, I presume Tomiyasu to you, but it's it's all all to play for other than uh, Ramsdale and Saka. No, actually, I'm going to leave Tomiyasu to you. No, oh. uh, surprising a few, but not surprising anybody with my next selection, Granite Chaka. No, I kid. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, you just, I was like, I was already thinking about our Twitter mentions and the reviews on, on on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Thank you, thank you for being oh, facetious. Yeah. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Clive's still groaning. I was reaching for the mute. They, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, it, he is it, a player of the season in a sense in, yeah. in terms of the impact, both good and bad. Yeah, go go ahead. Please, please I pick someone. Right, I'm totally under the sway of recency bias, and I'm going to go with Martinelli. I was uh, going to pick him. Oh. So uh, good. No, that's good. Go for it, yeah. Because I think he's transformational of our season when it actually got really good. Um, and basically, once he started to start for us, uh, we couldn't really drop him. And how many of us would want to see, can imagine a scenario where we're okay with Smith Rowe not starting. I mean, we're not okay with it, but you don't want Martinelli to start or to not start. You're okay with Martinelli starting over him. Let's put it that way. Yeah. There's probably a phrasing that doesn't upset people that don't need to be upset over that. (laughs) We all love Smith Rowe. We want him on the pitch. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you don't want to drop Martinelli. What's more, how did we move? Like, I know there was a lot of blood, sweat and tears over Aubameyang leaving, 
but nobody wanted him as a starter um, because Martinelli does that job better as a wide forward uh, than Aubameyang does. N- not to poo-poo um, Aubameyang's career or his abilities or his ability to finish, but actually that role that Arteta tried to carve out for Aubameyang time and time again, Martinelli is growing into it because he can do all the other parts of the game. We know he's a finisher. We know he's a shot monster. He's not necessarily at Aubameyang's level of finishing yet, but shit, what is he now? 20? Every time I check these guys, they're no longer 17. They're like 25. What is he, 22? Time, time is progressing, as it turns out, yeah. Yeah, he's probably 22, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just hitting that, like... You asked me, if we make top four, how did we do it? Well, Martinelli He, he is still just 20, as it turns out. Okay. <laughs> A couple more years. Um, Which is amazing, by the way. Yeah, you know, I mean, we bought Ben White when he was 23. Now he's 27 already. Every time yeah. I check those guys, they've cranked on. William Saliba's you. 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... If we do what we need to do this year, Martinelli will have gone gangbusters. He's our most dangerous direct attacker. Uh, he's linking up well with Lacazette. Rams, he's the Ramsdale uh, long outball. Uh, he gives us so much on that side and opens up that whole side from an attacking standpoint that if you take him out, like Smith Rowe does a great job from the left, etc., but... Uh, more to feed other players in terms of attack. Like everybody's feeding somebody. You need somebody to actually stick a fork in it. And Martinelli's your man. Even even Saka, who's who's beginning to get a good return, he's still more provider, creator than finisher. You need a finisher. And it's not Lacazette. It's not. So we can see all the reasons why we need this guy to be our player of the season. And I think he may well... Uh, um, a little bit forward-looking here, forward-leaning, like when I picked um, our boy Tierney as our fullback of the decade. I didn't have a lot to go on, but I think the corner has been turned with Martinelli. It's clicked, it's happened, and he's a key piece of why, if we make the strong run in, we will have done it. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think... In much the same way you could call Smith-Rowe our player of last season in the sense that his arrival in the team started us back from something despicable and and horrifying to something that was encouraging and, and had some light at the end of the tunnel, even though we only played half the season and not even all of that. I think Martinelli is the same in the sense that he arrived in the team at a time when things were starting to look maybe a little bleak or a little stale again, and it has not looked that way since he's been in it. So We've played great yeah. football with him, with Lacazette in the team, yeah. and uh, and with Thomas, Tommy Asu on the right. If you have those pieces and everything else functioning, we're probably going to play really good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's difficult for me because I understand the reason to pick Tommy Asu. And, and he would certainly deserve it. I think he's been great. I sort of feel like we'd be picking Tomiyasu because he's bailed us out from having to play some very bad players. Not that he hasn't been good. He's been very good. But for player of the season level, I I think I would lean more to Gabriel Magalhaes because I think he, he has been so rock solid. I, you know, I don't know if it was clear that Arteta was totally convinced of him 
back half of last season. Maybe it was just injury or this, that, and the other thing. And we, you know, we, he wasn't always in the team, but he brought in a young player in Ben White who wasn't necessarily a, a stick on back four center back coming in. And he brought in a new young player in Tomiyasu who had to learn a new system. And, you know, he had Tavares for a lot of the start of the season with no Tierney available. And the one, you know, and a new keeper who was young and coming in. And the one guy he's got that's there is a pretty young guy himself in Gabriel and asked him to be the rock, the, the leader of the defense, the guy who could, you know, cover a mistake that White might inevitably make as he's learning the transition, who could, you know, really be a little bit of everything to that back line. And while I think Tomiyasu has been a revelation and, and I'm, really growing to appreciate a player who stylistically is very different than what I think of as a fullback and is obviously excellent. I think what Gabriel has done in an all-change back line, especially when when Tierney wasn't there, obviously, um, to keep us pretty darn defensively solid and and to you know show a lot of character in doing it, I think he has stepped up in a really powerful and important way. So I will go with Gabriel. Um, I, I want to ask you a really hard one, Clive, and we'll each get a shot at this one too. Mikel Arteta, mm-hmm. three choices. Underperformed expectations so far this season, met expectations so far this season, exceeded expectations so far this season. It's hard, right? Can we sit in six, are we, at the moment? Um, um, it, it's hard to say because it's all, you know, I mean, I guess you could do a, a weighted points situation, right? Because the, the table think, is so spread out I, in terms I, of games played. See, I, I look at, Arteta slightly differently to some people. I'm looking at it from a a leadership perspective, a change perspective, an environmental change. He's he's ripping the club from the bottom, right? So he's ripping it out. So I, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, man, thank goodness you're doing this because we so need this to happen, right? And but that's just me, and no one looks at football like I do, shock horror. And some people look at the results, right? And then we're sitting there six. So for people that just look at the cold, hard results, I would say my expectations. If you look at the fact that Arsenal Football Club did this change, need to get people out of the building that were taking money out of our club for free without having to play with the wrong motivations. The way they arrived was incorrect and the way they left was incorrect. And we're still paying that price. If you look at somebody that actually took that challenge on, <clears throat> and which is difficult and difficult for his own personal reputation, but he still takes it on any way for the betterment of the club. I would say he exceeds expectations, but it's a results game, and not everyone looks at that that way. So, um, so for me, I'll for, I'll play the, the the vanilla game and say he's met expectations, but you know, in the back of my mind, the way that I look at football and change mm-hmm. and culture and leadership, he's exceeded it. Let me ask you this. Do you think that he needs to... I don't want to get into this too far, but do you think that he needs to deliver European football one way or another by the end of this season? Like, do, do you Are there KPIs he has to hit the rest of this season to be safe? Because there's a lot of discussion about him getting a new deal. And what's sort of interesting about that is, does he deserve a new deal? Does he not? He may well prove that he deserved a new deal at the end of the season. Is there a scenario where he hasn't hit the KPIs to stay at all. I mean, wh- what do you think he has to do the balance of the season for you to feel this same way in May? I think he has to be top six. That's how I started the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple of things have happened that made me think, Crikey, he's really going for it and putting everything at risk, but he's making sure that he's getting where he wants to get to quickly as possible. And that could actually put that top six at risk. And for the betterment of the club, I think 
mm, is that worth it or not? I think people will look at this from 30,000 feet and say, Arsenal Football Club cannot be outside of Europe for two seasons. Because when you're outside of Europe, you have an opportunity with the schedule to get yourself back into Europe. And I've and I often felt that, you know, my thoughts, I did sort of feel top four could be on because we're not in Europe. But this is a year to make the jump, just like Liverpool did. That was my secret hope while saying outwardly top six is fine. Mm. But I still feel that. I still feel top four is on. And it, and it's going to happen with health and schedule, you know. And um, if we get a bit of luck there, we could we could have a good go at it. So for me, top six to answer your question, Elliot, is what yeah. makes him stay. If he if he's seventh, eighth, there's a debate, and I couldn't argue with those people that say we're not making progress. Yeah, I mean, we did preseason predictions, and I had sixth, Tim had fifth, Clive, you had fifth, Paul had sixth, Scott had fifth. Points ranged from 61, Paul and I, 64, Scott and Tim, 66, Clive. Um, Interestingly, goals scored, Tim and Clive, 66, Paul, 63, Scott, 60, me, 57. And goals conceded, uh, I had 45, Tim had 44, Paul had 45, Scott had 42, and Clive, you had 40. So, like... If we you, you had us on 66 points with a 26-goal difference and fifth, yeah, I mean, that would be great. Now, to be fair, you had Pepe and Oba's joint top score, so I don't think we're going to get there. Uh, now, not to laugh at you, because every one of the rest of us had Oba's top score. Uh, and that is the key thing, Elliot. That is, none of us would have predicted that that guy would not be in the club in January. And that we wouldn't have anyone to sort of replace his contribution. Exactly. Yeah. This is the key variable. But, but you know that that's that's the decision we've made, and 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 I think you know the one thing we have to accept, the Oba decision may have been the absolute right thing for the club. Managers get judged on their big calls. That that's how they get judged, not on the tiny little minutia, but the big calls. And if he gets this call right, he deserves all the praise. If this call backfires, it may cost him, and we'll have to see. Tim, what's your appraisal? Underperformed expectations so far, met or exceeded? I think Met, um, you know, we're in that kind of fourth to six, you know, battling for four, some, anywhere between fourth and six, which is, I think, broadly what we all expected. I mean, you just read out the predictions there and we're about on course for that, aren't we? So, yeah, yeah, d- definitely Met. I think, um, d- and definitely not exceeded, I think, but definitely not underperformed either. I, I think it is a, a very broadly met at this moment in time. And obviously what happens in the next couple of months will be pivotal there. I think the only thing I'd add on to that quickly is I, I do think one thing you have to say for Arteta, for better or for worse, depending on your view of some of his decisions, he's made some massive calls in his time as manager. Um, he's not been afraid to make some massive calls. He He's not stupid. He will know that like, you know, bombing out Aubameyang and not getting another striker in. If Arsenal don't finish fourth, he knows that he'll catch a lot of heat um, for that. And he, he obviously, again, for better, I'd say for better, actually, doesn't really care about that. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to say that for him. He has not, he's been consistently unafraid to make big calls, which will definitely impact the way that people view him. And, you know, he's, he's stuck pretty rigidly to what he wants, whether what he wants is right. We'll see in the fullness of time. But I think the one thing I I'd say for Arteta is there is absolutely no confusion. There is no confusion about what he wants or what he's after and the kind of player he wants to do it. I think we're all, pretty much crystal clear on that, whether we agree with it or not. Yeah. And I mean, just to 
put in perspective, we're on pace for about 65 and a half-ish points, which is right about nailed on as a sixth-place finish. We're on pace for about 60 goals. That's that's where we obviously have to improve, and that's where I think talent is going to have to come up and players are going to have to get better. I mean, you look at goals tallies, they're usually in the high 60s, mid-60s-ish for, for Champions League places. Chelsea somehow last season got in there with 58 goals, to be fair. And on pace for about 45 goals conceded, which is a perfectly reasonable uh, defensive record. So all in all, I think it's all there. I mean, it's it's kind of what you expect. It's all there for the taking. Uh, statistically, even as bad as our start to the season was, we're kind of right about from a really good... I mean, if this were if we were launching an invasion on top four... This would be the perfect beachhead from which to do it, where we are right now. This is where you'd want to be with 17 games to play. No other distractions, no other cups. I mean, you'd rather be in the cups. I get it. But it, this this would be the beachhead to stalk down that top four position. Um, and, you know, if we do finish just under that 65-point total and just under those 60 goals, I think it's going to look not great. If we get just above that 67 points, 62 goals or so, it's, it's really on that kind of knife edge. So, Paul, where do you... Where do you uh, find yourself on the underperformed expectations, met or exceeded? Um, it's pretty close to met, but just above. I think he's, when you take in the totality of what he's dealt with, I think it's just above. First, first and foremost, we have seen the football, right? Finally, the clouds parted and we saw us playing multiple games at a level that was pleasing to the eye, pleasing to the the pocketbook from a point standpoint, um, and where we were starting to become the envy of other supporters. Uh, the media were beginning to coo and and warm to our performances. We've seen the football, so we can do it now. Um, we lost that a bit in January, but there was a lot of other things we lost along the way that contributed to that. So I think that's a huge piece of it for me. Uh, it's not just about perform it's not just about results and where we are and are we doing okay? It's can we see the promised land in terms of football? Is there an exciting vision for us for this team for our our go forward? I think the other thing is we have to remember, he got six new players under the age of 23 at the start of this season. Now, if you t- if you give that scenario to anybody, you say, oops, that's trouble, especially if these aren't just backup squad rotation options. Five of the six are basically playing for us uh, in a team that already had a couple of uh, ex-teenagers, um, 21 years old, 20 year- years old, Martinelli, uh, what's he? We decided he's twenty. Like we got three, uh, basically twenty, twenty-one year olds who were already in the team, and we've added six twenty-three year olds and under yeah. to the team. Uh, like Gabriel, what's he? Uh, he's he's twenty-three, I think, maybe going on twenty-four. I mean, incredibly young team. Um, he's adding six kids to a team with you could say. F- four really young players already in the squad um and they're all contributing sambi isn't a starter but he started a bunch of games and been essential uh to keep things ticking along i think when you add what he's had to do uh the players he's he's had to sideline uh keeping all those plates spinning and putting us in the frame 
And I think we should also remember that any time you look at a how have we done over the last 12 months window since we started doing that, we're always fourth or fifth in terms of the top six, right? On a points per game over the last 12 months. Um, once we started being able to do that from December 23rd, um, like we're still there. We're still at that level of consistent performance. And that's with all the bad stuff mixed in there. I can't help think that I feel we've pushed beyond good enough. Um, it, it like things yeah. can unclick quickly, but that that's why this run in is so key though. Right. Because all yeah. it would take is a slight dip in that form. And suddenly the points per game run looks pretty bad or a slight uptick and it looks pre- like that's the thing, right? Finishing with 66, 67 points, it's going to be a lot of cause for encouragement. And maybe Champions League finishing with like 62 points, you might not even have Europe at all. It is really, really tight. Clive, you wanted to add on that? Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, I just tried to bring our brains back to where we were in August when we obviously we had, the COVID, <laughs> we had the COVID issues and we saw this young team guy at Brentford get slapped about a bit. And then obviously Chelsea Man City get Tommy Asu in, more, more or less give up the Man City game. And at that moment in time, we're all thinking, Kwanki, we've, we've all predicted fifth, sixth. And we're thinking <laughs> we could be fifth, sixth bottom, right? And then suddenly all the new signings come in. And at that point, what we saw from, you know, from Ramsdale going forward has massively exceeded our expectations, really. But we've all said met. And it's just a sign how comfortable we become with the norm. So those six signings we all worried about in various degrees, we've seen them succeed. So, okay, this is where we are now. So you've met my expectations. When there's probably none of us felt that way in, in August. We didn't see even us being this successful. One other thing, and what I will add is, with young players, the growth potential is almost unknown. Right? So we haven't mentioned Smith-Rowe, and his potential, he's absolutely massive. Right, so he's sitting there, our top scorer, and we just not mentioned him at all. And I think we, it, it could take us anywhere. It literally could take us anywhere, these guys. They could just go supernova. And I think this is the exciting thing about what we're watching. We're hoping we're going to get there, but it could actually go beyond where we even imagine. You know, and yeah. this is it's so exciting to watch it at the moment. I can't wait to get back into that ground, I tell you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you see where it could go great. Saka could be as good as any forward in the league. Martinelli could be as good as any forward in the league. Odegaard could be the best playmaker in the league. Like, those things can happen. It's not, I'm not saying they're going to happen right away or even that they'll happen at all. But you wouldn't say that's impossible. Those things are possible. Um, I would say met expectation. But the funny thing is, for maximum online dissatisfaction, we got there with periods of massively under performing expectations in my view and then pretty well overperforming expectations and it is my lasting memory of arsenal playing because i didn't care about the cups and that makes me weird and i know that is overperforming the league performances at the end of december and the one against man city and i know only arsenal fans would hold up a loss to manchester city as you know this the apotheosis of our football for the season but i think everyone understands the circumstances there so i find myself at met expectations but with deep concerns and deep excitement at different points in the season. And, you know, look, I I will get absolutely, uh, you know, beaten up for this. 
I have to admit, I still have questions about the man management. I do. I still have questions if there's another layer to the onion for Arteta there, another level he can go up in his education as a manager in how to work with players and how to manage situations. I said this on a previous podcast. I'd love to have a roundtable of some of the best managers in the game and you throw them hypothetical disciplinary situations and ask how they'd handle them. I think they'd all handle them differently and there's no one right way. Do I think that that's an area for growth for Arteta? I can't help that I do. I know some of you listening will say, what are you talking about? You know, we did the right thing. and it, we, I get it. I, I just see it a little differently. I, I think that there can be a, another a, another nuance to how he handles those situations. <clears throat> and we'll see how that's developed. It's interesting though, isn't it? Yep. Because from here on in, they truly are all his players. Now you can say Aubameyang was, but... but no, you re-signed him. Yeah. Yeah. But in a, it, that makes him his player in one sense. It was also like a very big personality, a very big decision to make. Yeah. But, but they won't all be easy, in, Paul. We, we will sign a player who inevitably has personality traits that are challenging. Sure, sure. Y- you but know what my, I mean? Yeah. And my point being, it's going to be interesting from here because he will get one of those, but but it won't be an Yang on 350K necessarily. Um, and so we will... It, it'll, if there's but, a different pattern, I won't be shocked, but we will see. We will see, and I'll say this. Look, if we want to be a title contender, a Champions League contender, and I, I think Arsenal Football Club has a right to expect to get back to that level, one day we will have, hopefully, the next Holland or Mbappe or Thierry or Van Persie or whoever it is. And if Arteta's still here, you know, that is that is what we're, we're going to learn from. And again, it, we are... I'm reaching met expectations, but I still think, you know, there are things there where I cock my head and I say, is that right? I mean, Tim, as a final thought, maybe the player that we'll look at to see how he handles it, the balance of the season is Pepe because Pepe is sort of that last big money, big contract player that isn't his. And, oh, by the way, has a knack for scoring goals late in seasons and we could probably use what he brings. So maybe there's a really good litmus test here with how he finds a way to get the most out of that player with the 17 games remaining. Yeah, I th- I think that's the most fascinating thing about the remainder of this season is how because I I don't want Pepe in the starting lineup. Um, I think he's behind Saka definitely. I want Martinelli in there first. I want Smith Rowe in there before I want Pepe. Um, but we need his goals and he takes lots of shots, um, and we need that. So we're probably going to need him from the bench. Even though the the added difficulty there is, I don't think he's ever really nailed that super sub thing. So. Um, how do we manage? How does Arteta manage him? And also, how does he manage him on the basis that everyone knows that Pepe is not Arteta's player and not a player that Arteta really wants? And so, you know, we, there's no pulling the culture. You're either all the way in or all the way out stuff. Which, to be fair, I don't, I don't think he really has with Pepe. He's just like used him sparingly, which is fine. And I think that's kind of what Pepe's deserved. Um, but but we do need his goals. So how do we get his goals? without interrupting it just so happens that Pepe plays in the two positions where you know we've got we've got potentially supernova talents and um uh, no we can't play Pepe up front because his movement is absolutely abysmal and it would be the easiest 90 minutes for a center half ever um so I'm not having Pepe up front uh, thank you very much so h- how do we get the goals out of this player without kind of upsetting what's good about the team I think that's a really good challenge for Arteta and, and when I say a good challenge like it's a difficult one as well. I, I certainly haven't really got any idea how to do how I think he should do that. He'll be devastated to learn. 
Yeah, well, he'll just have to figure it out on his own, I guess, Tim. <laughs> um, look, I think what we are doing is updating our expectations. And that's that's the one thing, you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, before the season, you said top six would be good enough. And like, I think theoretically it still would be. But we are updating expectations based on what we've seen so far and what we expect under the circumstances. And my updated expectations now are, with 17 games left, and I still think a pretty talented squad that you know you can pull from if you're if you're a little lucky with injuries, go chase a fourth place position. If you don't get there, let's see how you don't get there. If you do get there, amazing. But th- there's no reason I can look at barring a real injury crisis where we should be looking at this and saying United and Spurs pulled away. So let's update our expectations, see what happens. Let's leave it there. We've got a lot of uh, fun Patreon content coming this week. We got a video data review with Matt Giant Gunner. Um, we're going to take his data reviews off of Discord and, and go into the video format with that, which would be fun. We're going to do a game show with Scott that I'm looking forward to based on something he's been doing on Twitter. We're going to do, um, obviously, additional uh, pods, and then we'll have the instant reaction when after we play Wolves. So a lot to come this week. Thank you for everyone who's who's put up with the sort of pause in the content, but there's been a pause in the football, so it all goes together. In any event, uh, Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter at Pods My Pants. Thanks, Paws. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. You can me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We have football back, real football, Premier League football, Arsenal football, and I know it is going to be great, and we are going to love it, and we are going to have the best pods ever, and you are going to have a great time with us. That is our expectation. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. We'll do it.